0: Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Back with us this week is Ken Doctor, the author of Newsonomics, 12 Trends That Will Shape the News That We Get. Ken, welcome back to the program.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: I tell you, we really had a very spirited discussion about the newspaper industry last week, and what I'd like to do this week is to talk about the new mediums that are, or, or the new devices that we're reading this news on. So, what is all the hype about the iPad, Ken? Can can you help us understand um, how the iPad is different from the Kindle or it's different from the Nook?
1: Sure, I, I, I think you know. I mean, I live out here. I live out in San Jose, so I'm close to uh, I'm close to the uh, the uh, waves emanating out from uh, Cupertino and, and Apple's headquarters, but. Uh, Sometimes we can be a little off because of that, but I've I've thought since I've seen seen it um, that it will be a a revolutionary device. Now, I think the difference is um, that it combines what people have loved about the iPhone, and there are now, I think, 30 million of those little things that have sold, even though we're all stuck uh, on the AT&T network.
0: Which is Uh, horrible, by the way.
1: Does not work in the Bay Area and New York the two places I tend to be a lot so <laughs> so even though even though they have some problems it's not really much of a phone it's an incredible next generation computer, and at the same time it's been out here what about two and a half three years something like that at the same time you know those of us that have normal sized fingers say, Oh my god, you know it's just you know, it's great, I can read the news anywhere, I can do this, I can do games, I can look up, you know, movies uh, when I'm out and that kind of stuff. But it, it is not a, it's not a great reading experience. So the whole idea of the iPad, I think, was to grab the wonder of the iPhone and the idea of having a real portable computer, but to have it be something that fit the human hand and uh, had a screen big enough where you could read more than, you know, 25 words at a time. And so, of course, they played with how big, how small, how heavy, all those kinds of questions. And this is clearly still a first-generation product. You know, it, we'll, we'll look back even in five years, and I think, you know, we'll be impressed. But the, the tablets that we're carrying around, and I think many of us will be carrying around tablets uh, in, in three to five years, um, will uh, we'll, we'll be a little different and they'll be better. I think the differences are, the main difference is, that it's a consuming device and not a producing device. And we think about laptops, and some people will say, people who a lot of techies have said online and when you talk to people, they'll say, well, it's just a laptop. You know, I don't get it. It's a laptop, and, but it's not quite as versatile as a laptop, and, and where's the keyboard, right? Right, right. But if, if you are mainly consuming content, whether it's news or it's games or it's, uh, you know, reading the web, whatever it is, um, you, don't need, you don't need a keyboard, especially, and that's the number two part of it, you know, we use our hands. I, I like the, the fact that 50,000 years ago, they think, is when humans learned how to talk. Now That's not very long ago. What did we do before that? We gestured, and some people gesture
0: still
1: lot, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, you know, you, we're used to using our hands. Some some more than <laughs> others, right? I'm not sure if the, the advanced people use their hands more or the least advanced. I'm not sure.
0: I don't know. I the people... freeways in California, there you see a lot of hand gestures. <laughs> a lot there. of hand
1: gestures, right? <laughs> so um, we, we know how to do that. Um, I've got a, a two-year-old granddaughter who, when she was 15 months old, learned how to advance the music on her, her father's um, it uh, was an eye touch, but the the idea of how do you move stuff along? So what they did is they understand how humans like to operate things. So I think the combination is a consumer device. Uh, people like to use their hands much more than a keyboard, where we've kind of been stuck behind a keyboard, which is an unnatural position. And then, yeah, probably thirdly, color. Yeah, I mean, it's a color world. It's not a black and white world. And um, a device, to, you know, you think back to the first computers, which were black and white. Black and you white. know, and I remember we got an Apple II GS. Oh, my God, it had graphics. It had sound. It had color. Where, you know, it, people want color. They, they want freedom, and it represents that possibility and that allure. Now, for news companies, it's fascinating because it's a new device. And so, as a new device, they're saying, how do we use this? And I'm afraid too many of them are doing what they did with other new technologies, and what they're doing is they're porting over basically the same news content, as opposed to what you can actually do, do with this platform. And if you look at, I don't know how many of uh, your listeners have looked at the Sports Illustrated uh, demo. They did a demo of a Sports Illustrated tablet product, and this came out first or second week in January. Uh, it's now been viewed almost a million times, that one demo, three-minute 3, three minute, uh, demo video on YouTube. mm And when you look at that, you see, ah, this could be the new news world where I not just can read the news of the day, I can go back and forth in time, I can go in-depth to certain stories, I look at photo montages, I can look at video of yesterday's game, I can stop it where I want to stop it and start it where I want to start it. And you kind of look at it and you say, of course, you should be able to do this because all of that's available technology. So in terms of a product and what it can do for the news business, uh, I'm very high on what it can do as a product. And then um, it offers very similar uh, advertising advances of what you can do to sell products and sell services. So I think it's going to be a very significant uh, change on the landscape for news companies, both because of product and advertising.
0: Now, one of the criticisms that I've heard about the iPad is that if you're on a train or a bus and there's a lot of sunlight, the screen yeah. is difficult to read.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that from some people, too. And, and I think, you know, that that is, that is one of many issues that will be worked out. Um, it's been true, I think, of the iPhone as well um and but still you know, if you add up the pluses and and the the minuses uh people are many people are willing to you know you know say okay i i'll 'll adjust to that at this point yeah there there are there are no, you know a number of negatives to it um but there's also going to be a whole slew of tablets coming from other companies um and they 're going to get cheaper it 's still fairly expensive you know it 's just been out. What, two months three months now right um it's going to get a lot cheaper i think they'll deal with the the screen issues that are there um and and as it comes down in price point and uh if it's available on other carriers uh, i think it's something that many people will use um and uh, I, you know even the early sales uh, the early some of the early sales surpassed iphone which is which is fairly amazing
0: you know, in, in your opinion, what do you think is the number one item that's going to be consumed on the iPad? Will it be movies? versus well, versus I, reading books. It would depend
1: how you counted. You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that that it will be current. Inf- it will be current information. If you still look at it, people like currency. People still take in. This is fascinating. They they take in an hour of news a day which is the same as we did about 10 years ago or 20 years ago. We just take it in differently. You know, right. we, we have a lot of digital ways we get doing it. And so I think if you look at that, an hour a day, that's still a pretty prime use. Um, yeah, sometimes people watch movies and they, it's a two-hour experience, and and sometimes they use it for mapping and finding a, finding a restaurant where they are and all the location-aware uh, potentials of it. Uh, but I think, I think current use is going to uh, still be a major driver of it, just as it is of the, of the web today.
0: And, you know, let's talk a little bit futuristic here, uh, digital paper. Uh, yeah. I've heard about digital paper for a number of years, but it has not come to fruition yet. Um, have you seen any demonstrations of potential digital paper products that might come out to displace the iPad?
1: Well, it's interesting. There, you know, there's a bunch of companies working on it. You know, a lot of the digital paper ideas came out of MIT, and you know, know, on the one hand, it is in the lab. I think in some sense that's less important. So, you know, there have been both attempts to make uh, digital products that you could actually roll um, so that it wouldn't be a fixed hard plastic product but could roll more like paper. And in fact, uh, a couple of companies that were working on that decided to go more, go the other way to a fixed product because they found that consumers knew how to handle that better and liked the solidity of it. Better than rolled paper, even though you could essentially roll up the electronic version. So uh, part of it's technology, and part of it's what people will adapt to, uh, and what people will like. So I think you know the lightness of it is probably you know the uh, how heavy it is or how how light it is is important. The factor you brought up of you know can I read the screen in different kinds of light environments those kinds of things, I think are going to be more important than actually making it feel like paper.
0: When you were coming back from the U.K. last week, uh, yeah. you, you, you participated in a, a uh, outsell, I believe it's Brain gain, um forum on uh, digital publishing. On the airplane, uh, what was the prominent device that you saw that people were utilizing?
1: I saw both. Uh, I saw a few iPads. I saw a few Kindles. Um and I saw most of the people sleeping <laughs> <laughs> um there weren't uh it was uh it it was uh, a flight yeah there there were i'd say i don 't know whether two hundred people on that flight there were probably um four or five ipads four or five kindles uh a bunch of people using laptops and working and you know making endless powerpoint slides right um right. and 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 all um It was funny. I I got on a flight, actually, when I think last time I saw you, we were in New York for that SII conference. That's correct. And um, I got on the plane in San Jose for New York, and I looked over. I had an aisle seat, and I looked over at the two people to the right of me, and they were both reading on Kindles, um, like black-and-white Kindle screens, and there I was holding the Mercury News in print. (laughs) 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 and I thought that was pretty ironic.
0: Something about having a little bit of that uh, ink on your fingertips, right? <laughs>
1: very portable. It was a great invention.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, um, you had mentioned that on your flight back over that uh, folks were um, looking at the volcanic ash. Yeah. Now, on your plane, uh, did you have Wi-Fi access?
1: No, it's funny. I had, I've had. i had that. I've been doing a lot of flying over the last month, and there's this new go-go service that yes. uh, American has and Delta and, I'm not sure. You know, it's on several of the carriers, but not all of them. So, I'd signed up for a month. I heard thirty-four dollars, thirty days. This is a pretty good deal, and and it was. I actually went down to Latin America and I used it there. Mm-hmm. But uh, American didn't have it across the Atlantic. Oh, <laughs> oh, and you know, it, it seems to be. I don't know whether they're re, you know refitting planes and they haven't done them all, or what they're doing, but they're. It would seem like on a transatlantic flight, it'd be a perfect use for it, but it wasn't in place yet.
0: Absolutely, and then it, it allows you to use it, uh, utilize the network, no matter where you are in the world.
1: Yeah, and that's why I wanted to send my pictures of the uh, of the ash cloud, right, we right, take from the window. I wanted to send them when right, right when we were over the ash cloud. I thought that would be pretty cool.
0: You know, I'm just thinking about um, when different serious incidents are occurring on these planes, and now with this technology. Um, we're going to have folks who are going to be reporting right from their seat.
1: That's and, right. And
0: giving us, as John uh, Blossom, who's the author of Content Nation,
1: he talks about everybody's a publisher. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. That's the ultimate in crowdsourcing if you're on a plane that's having problems.
0: And explain to us, if you can, the, oh, of course you can, you wrote the book, uh, Local and Remap and Reload.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and Local, as, as, uh, I think we talked about last week, you know, there's this digital dozen, which are national and global companies, Yes. and they're going after these 900 million English-speaking people. So if they create a story or a post or a video, they have a wide, wide range of potential customers, and every time they get views on that, they can monetize that video or or story. Um, That's a huge economy of scale. Unfortunately, the opposite is now true of local media. So, if you were a metro newspaper, if you were the Mercury News, or you were the Chicago Tribune, or the Dallas Morning News, or uh, or the Newark paper, you would, in ten, fifteen years ago, you'd be bringing your your uh, readers the whole world. You would bring them the local news, but you'd also bring them the top of the national news, international sports, business. Uh, travel even, you know, movies, whatever. That was the window into the world for your readers. Now, because the digital dozen are busy providing content from around the world, and there are top flight entertainment sites, business sites, uh, travel sites, you name it, all of which, um, you know, provide really good tools as well as content, local is left with really reporting local news so i talked about it in terms of, of rebooting and, reload, and, and, and reloading because really they've had to change their mindset from being a nationally oriented paper to some degree usually in the a section and business oriented another too um, really focusing on local news <laughs> and that means um their staffs which are diminished greatly about twenty percent fewer journalists working in in 20-25 uh, percent fewer journalists working in u.s. newsrooms uh, now compared to uh... five six years ago um, and those that, that are left are focused on that local news report um, that means that um... they ha- they have to do that they have to do it well but it also means that their readers are only looking to them for the news and information about a smaller part of their world. They're not looking to them for the, that report about the whole world, but only a smaller part of it, and consequently the readers are spending less time with local news media because they're spending more time with national news media and sites like Market Watch or Metacritic or you know, ESPN.
0: So well so it's
1: really diminished mm-hmm. they're really the diminished newspapers especially the metros and diminished operations and they're really trying to find a future
0: yeah you know um, during the last election uh, CNN hired a number of journalists to cover the local news in regards to the political election um, do you happen to know if those journalists were or still employed or was that just a short- term gig that they got for the election
1: Um I don't know specifically on those. I know they have started some other that really tests some local operations, which um, went beyond elections in a few cities. And these are small bureaus to try to be more local with their, with their own staff. Um, but they have tested out. I mean, it's fascinating for anybody that comes out of the print business because CNN is trying to learn how to be a non-TV company. Um, With CNN, CNN on TV is plainly flagging, right? It's the fourth network um, in in terms of ratings. But CNN.com is one of the the major, uh, most successful uh, news sites on the web. What they're really trying to do is they're figuring out, in a sense, how to do text. They're finding out how to do stories as opposed to just doing stand-ups in front of cameras. What what their legacy is, so what what they're doing is uh, both trying to do text and they they were doing a number of experiments with local, to see um, does it make economic sense to do local. Uh, ESPN's been doing the same thing, you know. It's been trying to. It's been uh, putting out sites in Chicago and other big cities.
0: Is that the i? Is that the iVideo that they have?
1: I think it's just ESPN local, Uh, I think it's like ESPN Chicago is how Mm -hmm. they brand it. Okay. And what do you think? CNN is all is doing their iReport. Right, iReport, yes. yes. uh, Which is a huge user-generated operation, too, which is um, uh, that other, you know, big trend of how do you get readers to create a lot of content for you that you can put under your brand. And you can get it essentially for free. So they've done that, and they're they're pretty much leaders in that. But I think they're struggling with local, and they're they're struggling with how to get um, how to get local at a low enough cost point, which is right. a a big a big question for a lot of these companies. Right.
0: And what do you think of Patch dot com?
1: It, it's interesting. You know, it's it's AOL. It's uh it's Tim Armstrong, and it's the latest attempt to do. Hyper-local journalism, meaning uh, journalism in a small community of somewhere between thirty and 50,000 people, usually, uh, but to do it in a templated way. So they have, if you go to Patch, uh, they started in uh, New Jersey and Connecticut, a uh, few sites there. Uh, they look very similar because they're all on the same platform, the same design. And then they use a few local people who try to get a lot of other local people to write uh, for free. Uh, in the past, it's been really hard to scale. There have been other operations like Back Fence that have tried that. Um, they Clearly, we all want to know something about our neighborhoods, but how much time we want to put into it is a question, how much time we're willing to spend on it. Uh, and also, there's the question of whether you can link up enough local advertising mm-hmm. to pay for those local sections. Now, that's a really an advertising company, and the guy who heads it came from Google Advertising, so maybe they'll figure that out. But the whole idea there is hyperlocal across the United States with you know hundreds of sites, um, and I think in, in that case, readers again benefit. Because there is a lot of local coverage that they are spawning that really wasn't done very well by the Metro Papers. So it's a plus in coverage. Whether it works as a business, I don't know.
0: Right, right, right. So, you know, in your fourth trend, you talk about the old news world is gone, get over it. And I guess that's like. The traditional manufacturing in the United States—it's moved on. It's moved overseas.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: so, w- what's happening in the, in the journalism schools? How are they addressing this issue?
1: Well, the 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 best schools are really uh, have really blown up their old curriculum, and uh, they are preparing these this new generation of journalists to be uh, different kinds of. Start- talk to probably five or six journalism schools, and I think they're following similar paths, and they're saying, okay, uh, we don't know what the world's going to look like. We don't know um, how many jobs there's going to be um, for uh, for new journalists, given, given all the, the cutbacks in traditional journalism. But clearly, people are going to want journalism, and there are a lot of new startup companies that want to hire people, not pay them a lot, but want to hire so what they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to equip their um, news editorial people with broader storytelling skills. So it used to be you would follow a path where you might be in newspaper journalism or magazine journalism or broadcast journalism. Now they're essentially saying to all of them, you've got to learn how to do audio, you've got to learn how to do video, you've got to learn how to write, you've got to learn how to edit. So they're getting a much broader range of skills. Um, I don't think that they've made as much advances on the advertising side. And advertising, really advertising and PR are two other big parts of of journalism schools and communication schools. And those fields are changing um, just as rapidly. Uh, But uh, on the news editorial side, they are better preparing them with skills of storytelling As I've talked to them, I've said, you know, the other thing, the other skill I think is really important is you teach them uh, essentially how to run their own small business. That if it's going to be a gig economy, they're essentially going to be, there's a lot more chance they're going to be an independent contractor. That they're not going to work as an employee for one company, but they're going to have to work for three or four companies, just like journalists had to do 60, 70 years ago. And that way, people need to understand how basically to run their own work lives and, and take responsibility for it. And that's a, that's a whole other set of, of skills and tools.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, with, with all of the journalists who were laid off and all of the changes, and we have people who are blogging, uh, we have people who are not traditional journalists in a sense, what about the quality of the content that we're reading? Um, do you think that has remained on par, or has it suffered?
1: Um, I think it's definitely suffered. I think it's suffered uh, for several reasons. One of them was the one you note, that um, you, know, you look at not only have we lost 20 25% of the daily journalists in a very short period of time, but disproportionately these are people who are the most experienced people in the newsrooms. And um, they could be irascible and hard to deal with that as having been a managing editor but <laughs> they knew their communities you know they'd been in those communities for 20 or 5 20, 25 years oftentimes um at places like city hall and school districts and uh local big companies they knew uh, how to separate out uh, when people were blowing smoke from when they were telling the truth because they had the background they had the experience and they knew who to talk to We've lost, you know, tens of thousands of years of experience there. And um, as younger people come on, the traditional route in newsrooms is really—I a, 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 think you alluded to when you talked about manufacturing—it's really an old industrial model. And part of that industrial model was apprenticeship, and it was a loose apprenticeship. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a Dickensian apprenticeship, but it was—you know—younger people came on. And the, the older people uh, taught them the ropes. They taught them, you know, whether it was a, a certain beat or who to talk to or what mistakes not to make. Um, and that, that's uh, gone from a lot of newsrooms. So if you look at papers, not only are they thinner today, you know, they're physically thinner, but a lot of the stories, um, and I can uh, unfortunately attest to that with, the Mercury News here in, in San Jose, where I live, which used to be a reliably top-ten newspaper in quality. Um, it's a lot thinner, but a lot of stories are, you know, what we call one or two source stories. You know, they talk to a couple people, but you don't get the source, the sense that they have talked to enough sources that they know what's going on, and they're telling you what's going on with any particular story. And it, it's hard, I think, for readers to put their finger on it they, they know there's less there um, they'll know if people are involved in communities you hear I see a reporter a lot less than I used to um, so you hear all these kind of anecdotal things but the the, the the basic foundation of this is we don't know what we don't know because there's a lot less journalism being done and much of the journalism being done is, is being done is being done at a lesser standard, and so there's a lot of things we don't know in our communities that we would have known five years ago.
0: Ken, we have a couple minutes left, and I'd like to ask you a question in regards to the DNA of the new leadership that we need in yeah. digital publishing. What is what is the DNA of that new digital newsprint leader?
1: Well, I think that it, it is a, a wide understanding that in this, this digital world it's a, it's a world that is uh, really one of concentric circles, so that in the past these new, news companies were essentially essentially vertical industrial companies, the old Andrew Carnegie model, where you know you owned everything. Newspaper companies owned distribution, advertising, printing, everything. Now they are going to have a smaller of news producers and really advertising sellers a lot smaller staff but then the potential through um, having that staff and especially the news staff work with people in the community who are themselves doing blogs and doing uh, really good community sites Uh, Seattle Times is doing this Miami Herald is doing this so they're able to leverage a lot more community coverage within a certain standard, which they can put under their brand, um, through that kind of second concentric circle. You can bring in people, and some of them are journalists, some people are not journalists, but you can bring in more content from your site. You're just doing it in a different way. And then, of course, maybe the third circle is how do you work with readers who, you know, through in the Facebook era, really want to contribute? um a lot of this is just conversation but at the high end there's there's a lot of sharing and learning that you can do within communities so that the, the dna is really learning how to reach out and that you're not as an insular newspaper publisher or editor as many people have been in the industry but you are really someone who reaches out for both community relationships business partnerships and you look at how to expand expand
0: That was very, very uh, insightful in regards to what the new leadership needs to have in regards to good characteristics. Well, Ken, this has been an exciting last two weeks for me. I want to thank you for all of your time, for coming on the program.
1: You are quite welcome. It was good to talk with you.
0: Here we are. This is Darrell Gunter with leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. We're here with Ken Doctor, who is the author of Newsonomics. 12 new trends that will shape the news you get. He is also the Vice President Analyst with Outsell, Inc. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership. And remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great week.